want to, like getting up earlier in the morning. David Essel live on iHeartRadio.com in the box right now. We made the big switch from XM Satellite Radio, Sirius XM to iHeart. Today, October 19th, 2013, is our debut on iHeart. Of course, we're celebrating 22 years in talk radio as America's positive radio talk show. We are actually loving the switch. With 40 million listeners on iHeart, we cannot wait to get in bed with each and every one of you. Speaking of getting in bed, today I'll be telling you a little bit about our love and intimacy workshop that we've got going on this weekend. Maybe some surprising results to information shared during that workshop. But anyway, I'm David Essel, broadcasting live out of Studio E in Los Angeles, California with Nathan and Tricia. And we are here to be of service, to lift your hearts, lift your mind, list everything about your life up to the very next level. And that's what we've been doing for such a very long time. Our toll-free number, one 800 548-8255, 1-800-548-8255, anytime you want, give us a ring. Of course, right now, lines are open. Do you believe in unconditional love? Do you believe there is such a thing as unconditional love? This is one of the many topics we talked about today at the workshop. I'm going to go in to give you my opinion on that. It may not be one that you like. And maybe one that you don't like, but at least we're going to talk about the truth today. Every Saturday from 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific, toll-free, 1-800-548-TALK. 1-800-548-TALK. We are here for you. And we've got some great guests, as we do every Saturday on this show. Michael Norton, co-author of the book Happy Money, The Science of Smarter Spending. He says that if you spend money in a certain way, you're going to be happier in life. That sounds great, doesn't it? Sonia Choquette. I interviewed Sonia the first time in the mid-90s. She's back talking about her new book, Tune In. Let your intuition guide you to fulfillment and flow, trusting that inner voice. And Sharon Rivkin, author of the book, Breaking the Argument Cycle. She says and she believes that you are able in a relationship to live argument-free or close to argument-free. Do you believe that? We're going to find out how she's come to that conclusion and what the hell do we do to get there because most of us would say that's an impossibility, right? We'll find out. 1-800-548-8255. You have a thought. You have a question. Are you on the fence in life about something? Is there something in your life that you just can't put your head around, your arms around? You can't make more money. Maybe you're frustrated with your body or you're frustrated with your relationship. Do you believe in unconditional love? I want to know what you think. Do you believe in unconditional love? Do you think there's such a thing as unconditional love? We talk about it all the time. Hallmark believes, Mr. and Mrs. Hallmark believe there's such a thing as unconditional love. In their cards, you'll see things like, I love you unconditionally. But is that even possible? Is it possible to love someone? We're human freaking beings, right? Is it even possible to love someone unconditionally? Because if you go by the normally used definition of unconditional love is that I love you regardless. I love you regardless, regardless of what? Regardless of anything. 
That's what unconditional love says. It says, you know what? If you're a raging alcoholic, I'm going to love you unconditionally. If you spin in my face, I'm going to love you unconditionally. That's what unconditional love is. What do you think? What do you think about unconditional love? Is it possible? Is it a fairy tale? Was it made up by Mr. and Mrs. Hallmark? Is it something that other people might be able to experience, but there's no way in the heck we'll be able to experience it because we're human beings? Text me, 941-266-7676, 941-266-7676. Go ahead. Text me right now. 941-266-7676. Is there such a beast as unconditional Love. Everyone says there is. Oh, love me. I love you unconditionally. Oh, really? Is it even healthy to love someone unconditionally? If we're loving someone unconditionally, we're saying, I love you as you are right now. Can you love someone unconditionally and not be with them? And then would that be real love? Do you see how confusing this is? Well, let me tell you the first answer. 800-548-TALK. That's the phone number. 1-800-548-TALK. The phone number. Number one. Number two, you can text me at 941-266-7676, 941-266-7676. I want to know what you think. We'll take your texts and your calls. So number one, though, if you believe in unconditional love, the only way it's going to start is if you use it on yourself first. If you cannot unconditionally love you, if you cannot unconditionally love yourself that means to one of the exercises would be to strip down in front of a mirror and stare at the mirror and learn to love what's in front of you whether you're ripped whether you're 450 pounds whether you're whatever right if you can't learn to love yourself unconditionally and that means that with your awesome personality or your crappy personality your awesome job or your crappy job your awesome relationship or crappy relationship, your whatever it is, if you cannot first totally 100% accept you in the way that you are right now, you'll never be able to love someone else unconditionally. It will never, ever happen. So from that perspective, all of a sudden we go, oh, my God, you mean love and accept myself as I am right now at this age with this body, with this money, with this relationship or lack, 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 lack. Right? You're asking me to accept and love myself 100%. And if you can't do that, gang, you're never going to be able to do it with anyone else. I mean, even if unconditional love is possible, you'll never, ever be able to do it, ever, if you can't start with yourself, number one. Number two, and my belief system, and what I shared at our workshop today, more information on our work at talkdavid.com. One of the things I shared in our workshop today is that, you know what, man, if, if, if you think... Unconditional love is accepting the alcoholic in your life and loving them as they are, accepting the liar and loving them as they are, accepting the cheater and loving them as they are. If you think that that's love, I'd say you're a masochist. I'd say that, you know what, you're into just a lot of abuse and pain. So another form of unconditional love would be to say, you know, I love myself so much that I just can't be with you. Now, that would be unconditional love. I love you so much. I love you so much that I'm going to let you go and try to find your own 
path in life. I love you so much that I'm going to allow you to go and to do what you need to do. Heal on your own, get into another relationship, hit another bottom. I love you so much I'm going to say goodbye. Now, that could be unconditional love because in that action, you are separating yourself from an unhealthy unconditional love to a healthy unconditional love. So think about that as we talk about unconditional love. You know, a lot of these things that we discuss at workshops, I know it's the exact opposite of what you're hoping for, but that's okay. Because the truth is much better. If you, the earlier you get the truth in life, the better decisions you can make. The other thing I wanted to share with you is this. What's the number one complaint about men and women? What's the number one complaint men have about women? Do you know what it is? The number one. What do, what do people complain constantly? What do men say? This really bothers me with a woman. This really bothers me about my girlfriend, my wife. This really bothers Do you know the number one thing is that women are so self-critical? That men get bored hearing, oh, my God, I'm overweight, or, oh, my God, my hair's a mess again, or this humidity is destroying my new hairstyle, or, oh, God, this makeup is running again, or this dress is way too tight, or this, these pants are way too loose. Or Men say the number one thing that bores them with their girlfriends or wives is how critical the girlfriend or wife is about their bodies, their faces, their makeup, their whatever. Isn't that interesting? Women wake up. If women would wake up and quit criticizing their own selves so much, they might actually create better relationships with their men. They might actually have a better chance of having a more open, real relationship. The more a guy gets bored with his girlfriend's bitching about her weight, her hair, her fill-in-the-blank, the less he pays attention to her, the less he wants to be around her. Women, please wake up. Quit the self-criticism. And you might just get somewhere really far with your man. You're tuned into America's Positive Radio Talk Show, David Essel Alive. TalkDavid.com is the website. Much more to come. Stay right there. David Estel alive. 1-800-548-TALK. 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 Call me right now. If you have a thought, you have a question... What's going on in your life? So we talked just before the break. We were talking about um, men. The biggest complaint they have is that women bitch about themselves all the time. And if women would quit complaining and quit being so critical about themselves, that guys would actually want to spend more time with them. Oh, my Lord. Yes. We just got a, a text in. That says, and this is from one of our our female listeners, this is so dead on, David. I quit bitching about myself weeks ago, and my husband started to spend more time with me. He never told me he was sick and tired of it until I stopped. And just a few days ago, when I asked him, why was he in the kitchen with me, and why was he following me into the laundry room, and he said, because you're not complaining about yourself anymore. 
Isn't that amazing? 1-800-548-TALK. Now, what about women? What are women complaining about men? What do they say they get really bored with men? What do they say really frustrates them about men? What do you think it is? What do you think it is? Any idea? Any idea what what women say they get so sick and tired of a trait of guys? Do you know the answer is that they're really tired about guys always having to be right? They're tired about guys having to be right all the time. They say, you know what, if their boyfriends or their husbands would quit having to be right in every conversation... that they would want to spend more time with their men and their boyfriends. So what's the answer? Oh, my God, please pay attention, America. For 22 years, we have been on the air giving you tips like this. Please pay attention, okay? Number one, girls, quit bitching about yourself, how you don't like your hair, how you don't like your bodies. And guys, quit being right. Like every once in a while, why don't you just be quiet and say, I don't know. (laughs) 1-800-548-TALK. 1-800-548-TALK. Here's an email just came in. Why so negative? My boyfriend, oh, speaking of, oh, my God, this is right on topic. My boyfriend is always complaining about life, money, our life, the economy, his body. It's exhausting. Can I do anything? Number one, disengage. Number one, disengage. Quit talking back to him. You know what I'm saying? Quit talking back to him. The only reason, the only reason that he's going to continue to talk is if you're giving him some kind of feedback. If you quit talking back to him, he'll get bored of talking to himself. Number one, disengage. Listen, but don't give advice. Listen, but don't give advice. Number two, how do you deal with living with or dating a negative person is making sure you're taking care of yourself. Lead by example. Don't communicate about crap. Don't gossip. Stay positive. And more often than not, our partner will come around. But our partner will not come around if we're engaging in them. So if he says, you know what, the economy sucks and it's all because of Obama or blah, 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 blah. And you sit there and go, oh, no, honey, no, look at the positive side. Nonsense. Be quiet. Shut up. Don't listen to him and don't talk back to him. You know what I mean? Isn't that wild? Disengage, baby. Disengage. We've got listeners right now in a Sonny's restaurant. In Orlando, Florida, Sonny's Barbecue. We want to do a shout-out to Sonny's Barbecue. We love you, Sonny's Barbecue, and to our listeners there. They're at a table listening to us on Error FM. And we have people listening to us on the radio at Sonny's Barbecue outside of Orlando, Florida. Welcome to our barbecue friends, one 800 548-TALK, 1-800-548-TALK. We love Sonny's. We should get Sonny's as an advertiser on this show. I think that makes a lot of sense. 1-800-548-TALK. 1-800-548-TALK. Here's another one just came in. Speaking of relationships, I keep going back to crazy relationships. I'm a 32-year-old woman. They lie. They cheat on me. Are there no good guys left in the world? I love this question. We covered this at the workshop today. We cover this workshop today. What about you needs a change? If you keep attracting men that are cheaters, that are liars, what about you? Does that mean you're codependent? 
Do you need to set stronger boundaries from the beginning? Do you need to set stronger boundaries in your relationships? And so the first time a guy lies or the first time a guy cheats, can you just like get up and go? If you set stronger boundaries, they might not like you, but they could learn to respect you. So if you keep attracting guys that aren't healthy, baby, it is you that has to change. 1-800-548-TALK. Hey, a big shout out to L. Oh, my Lord. Listening to us right now. Got to love it. We get texts from L every Saturday. L, welcome aboard. So glad you're with us. And, of course, I also need to uh, shout to uh, my lover, Jennifer, as she is uh, tuned in as well on our first day on iHeartRadio. To all of our text clubbers, oh, my goodness, welcome aboard. Hundreds of text club people listening to the show right now. Oh, God. oh, we just got another question about unconditional love. Man, we just opened the show with it. Is there such a thing? I heard you talk earlier, but I didn't catch the whole thing. Unconditional love is one of those uh, hallmark moments. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Hallmark came up with that unconditional love stuff. And is it possible? Well, you know what? As I said earlier, man, you, you got to start with yourself. You know, you got to be able to say that you unconditionally love yourself. You unconditionally love everything about yourself. If you can't do that, if you can't love yourself unconditionally 100% right now, there's no such thing as unconditional love. You cannot love another person unconditionally if you don't love yourself, number one. Number two, if you really want to see what unconditional love looks like, get a dog. <laughs> Pick up a dog. A dog is unconditional love. A dog can be beaten, though, so much psychologically and physically that it will lose its ability to love unconditionally. But if you want to see unconditional love in, in practice, I have a little reti- a, a retired, a, a, a greyhound, a miniature greyhound, an Italian greyhound named Saint, who I rescued, who is 100% unconditional love. 1-800-548-TALK. Let's go to the line. Joyce in Rhode Island, baby. You're on with David Essel. Hi, David. How are you? Hey, good, Joyce. What's going on in your world? Um, actually, things are good for me. I just tuned into your show and then realized it was about relationships. And quite honestly, I'm, I'm all set with that. You know, unless somebody drops out of the sky and into my arms, uh, I'm good. <laughs> um, now, what, does that, are you single? With- Yes, I am. Okay, you're single and you're happy being single. I am. Probably for like one of the first times in my life. I'm not looking for that significant other. And how long have you been single, Joyce? Um, probably about three or four years. Oh, three? Okay, good. So you've had some experience here. Oh, yes, yes. I Well, to give you a little background, I've divorced twice. I have two grown daughters. I know I sound young, but I'm really not. <laughs> and um, <laughs> everyone tells me I have a young voice, but um, no, I, I'm not. I'm 53. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've been the whole thing. Uh, the first, you know, got married young, had two children, got divorced, got married again. My husband cheated on me with my sister-in-law. I mean, I, I've been pretty much through what a lot of people probably have called in about. Um, people cheating on you. Why do I always go for that type? Why do I take right. people back? Um, right. And and you know what? It comes to a point where you have to learn to love yourself, be happy with yourself, and not look. Don't look. You don't need someone to make you happy. 
I love it, Joyce. Just, uh, hey, let me ask you this. Joyce, you, you, you've got so much wisdom. How did you find our show? Because this is our first day. We just switched over to iHeart. How did you find us? Um, Actually, I have Sonia Shukat on my Facebook, and she yeah. had written that she was going to be a guest speaker on tonight. And I said, oh, I was like, oh, let me turn in, turn into that and see what, you know, what they're talking about. And um, so it's, it's nice. actually how I came upon your show. I love it. I I love it. Hey, Joyce, listen, we've got to go to a break. Anytime you want to call in in the future, give us a call in. We've got a bunch of great guests tonight, and Sonia's coming up a little later. I am so glad you called. Wish that I could stay forever this young. Not afraid to close my eyes. Life's a game made for everyone. And love is a prize. So wake me up when it's all over. You're tuned into America's Positive Radio Talk Show, broadcasting live out of Studio E in Los Angeles, California, 1-800-548-TALK, 1-800-548-TALK, celebrating 22 years on the air, and today is our first day on the mega network iHeartRadio. Of course, as many of you know, we were on Sirius XM for a number of years, and we made the switch with our syndicator, Premier Radio and Clear Channel Radio, over to iHeartRadio. And it's great to be here. It is fabulous. We've got listeners now in Rhode Island with us. We've got listeners in Orlando, Florida at Sunny's Barbecue. We have listeners all over the place. And we love you and thank you so much. Every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, we've got Michael Norton on. He's an associate professor at Harvard Business School and the co-author of the book, Happy Money, The Science of Smarter Spending. Could the secret to happiness or one of the secrets to happiness be spending smarter? I mean, seriously, you know, you know how many times we talk about in our show when we talk about becoming financially independent, we say, you know what? It's all it's, you got to start with your expenses, baby. You got to start with where you're spending. And if you don't get a grip on that, you're screwed. Right. We've been preaching that for 20 something years, helping people to become financially independent. And all of a sudden from Harvard, we get this information that says, you know what? Money could make you happier. The way you use it could make you happier. Isn't that mind-blowing? Because so many times we say, no, 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 no. Money doesn't buy happiness. It's not about money. We're going to find out what the truth is. 1-800-548-TALK. 1-800-548-TALK. Again, Michael Norton, co-author of the book Happy Money. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Money can buy happiness. Tell me the truth. Tell me that spending money the right way can make you happy. It actually can, and the problem is that the way we usually spend it just doesn't do that good a job of it. Because too many people are in debt, right? It's too many people are in debt, and they're actually going into debt, and they're buying things that don't make them happy. So you have two things. You're buying things that don't increase your happiness, and you're going into debt at the same time, which we know is a really big predictor of being unhappy. Right. Okay. Now, I'm going to guess, being an associate professor at Harvard Business School, that you're a pretty smart guy. Uh, that's an assumption, but let's go with it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, Michael, a lot of people get into that position without being pretty smart. So here's my question to you. What is your personal connection with this topic? There's got to be something that you really loved about this topic, or there's got to be some, like in the past, did you get yourself in trouble spending? Or but what is it that drove you to this topic to co-author a book? Because I've written a bunch of books, and it ain't easy. I think one of the biggest um, reasons was that my co-author Liz Dunn and I we met when we were in graduate school 
we're the bizarre people who, when we're done with uh, regular school, we then go to graduate school for five more years. And what <laughs> right. that means is that we were broke for even longer because we didn't have a job. We were still in school. And when we finally left school and got our first jobs, we finally had a salary, you know, when we were 30 years old, let's say. And we've, yeah. we, because we're scientists, we said, I wonder what we, we should do with this money. Let's look and see what people have found out about how to actually be happy with your money, given that for so many people, money is a source of stress and debt, as, as you said earlier. And when yeah. we looked around for books and articles and things that would tell us how to use our money to really have a happy life, we found nothing. We really found no research on what to do with the money. And we said, let's do it ourselves and see what we can find out. And so one of the things that you write about in your book is that if you're going to be happy spending money. Now, I want to make this really clear for our listeners, Michael. We're not saying that if you don't have money to spend, spend it to be happy. No, that's right. So, um, in fact, some of the things that we tell people to do are to spend a little bit less money, but spend it more wisely. And a, and something that jumped out at me that you wrote about in the book was about, and this is something that I don't do enough, so that's why it probably grabbed my attention, is to buy experiences in life versus stuff, versus materialistic things. Give me an example. So we found when we asked people, what do you spend your money on, most of the things that people spend their, the most money on is, in fact, just stuff. So the biggest purchases most people make are their house and their car. And there's nothing wrong with having a nice house and a nice car. But research shows that how big your house is and how nice your car is doesn't actually predict how happy you are as a person. Stuff isn't bad really for us, but it doesn't really make us that much happier. Instead, we try to encourage people to think instead of buying more and more stuff, think about buying experiences. Buying So instead of a TV, buy a vacation. Or instead of a coffee for yourself, take somebody out to lunch. These kinds of experiences from, you know, an amazing vacation down to a little meal are much, much happier experiences uh, than buying more and more stuff. Now, now this, I, know, I don't think that you wrote about this, but, but what about the whole reminiscing thing? You know, like when you think back of, of a great experience, is there some type of an emotional connection that goes to that experience that's why it's so much more important than just a thing? It's enormously important. In fact, if you think about a TV that you bought 10 years ago, it's extremely rare that you sit around and reminisce about the time you bought a TV. <laughs> we just don't do that. That's not how we're built. But we often reminisce to vacations we took and dinners we had, and we think back to our wedding and to our honeymoon. These are experiences that really are deeply meaningful for us. TVs, in fact, if you think about it, you buy a TV, and it gets worse and worse and worse because you spill stuff on it, and uh, there's a new TV that comes out that's better experiences mm. when you go on them, it's true that they're gone after you have them, but then we have our whole lives to just think back and think how amazing and lovely it was and get happy every time we reminisce. And, you know, when you when you have an experience like that, like the the greatest thing in the world would be, of course, to take a picture, and then you can relive it, but you don't take a picture of your first big TV, right? Unless you have something seriously wrong with you. Most people do not. <laughs> I love it. The, the, the next thing that you discuss in here, to be able to um, be happy with smarter spending is to make it a treat. This one is actually, if I am being honest, the hardest one for me to implement on a day-to-day -day basis because the idea is when you truly, truly love things, what our instinct to do is to consume them all the time, obviously, because if you love something, you should have more and more of it. But right. in fact, even the things we love most in life, we tend to get a little tired of over time. And that includes things like eating a chocolate cake. The more you eat of it, the less exciting it gets. And even things like marriage, unfortunately, the longer <laughs> you're with someone, a little bit, we tend to, the passion wears off um, in some sure. sense. 
And our research shows that, for example, if you love coffee and you drink coffee every day, even though you love coffee, you're going to get a little tired of it when the more of it you have. And the best thing you can do is quit coffee for a week and come back to it. And by making it a treat, it's as though you didn't have coffee for a while and you're all excited about it again. And that cup literally will taste better after a week off than if you kept drinking it the whole time. Is is there is there a certain amount of money in your guys' research that we should put aside for fun spending? Is like you know once expenses are paid and whatever else it might be that's really crucial important. Is there a certain amount of money like five percent of your annual income, ten percent that we should be spending on experiences and treats and all that kind of stuff in order to be happier? We don't know the exact amount yet, but we do know that people are spending much too much of their money on stuff. Because when we tell people to spend it in different ways, like, for example, you're living your life as usual, and then in an experiment, we can say, go out and buy an experience today. And when we make people do that when they weren't going to, they actually get happier out of it. And that tells us that they should have been buying an experience all along because we can still make them happier. And now we're really trying to do the longer-term research, exactly as you suggested, where we could really figure out across a week or across a month or even across a year how should we be allocating our money to get the most happiness out of it? What's the most frustrating thing about money to you? Personally or trying to give people advice about it? Well, let's, let's start with personally. You know, the problem with money is I think that it's countable. And because we're human and we like to figure out two things. One is, am I better off than I was last year? And another thing is, am I better off than my neighbors? Unfortunately, because we're human, those two things are really important to us. And if I try to figure out, am I better off than I was last year, and am I better off than my neighbors, I can do things like, am I a nicer parent, or am I a better person? But it's hard to tell, because those things are so abstract. But I know for sure if I make more money than I did last year, and I know for sure if my house is bigger than yours. And so we get accidentally into this mindset of our possessions and our money tell us how well we're doing in life. And they don't. What really tells us how well we're doing in our life is more abstract. It's do we have close relationships? Do our children love us? Does our partner love us? It's easy to lose sight of those things because they're hard to count. Money's so frustrating because it seems so clear that if we have more, it's better. But the research just shows that isn't really that good for us. And so what you're saying is if our identity is based on income, that's a trap. That's right. And if you ask people to think about it for two seconds, they know a lot of really, really rich people who are really, really unhappy. If it were the case that everyone who were rich walked around happy as a clam all day long, it would make a little more sense that we all think money solves all our problems. But all of us know people who are rich, or we see people on TV who are rich, and it's absolutely the case that money hasn't solved their problems, but we keep thinking it'll solve ours. Right. Fascinating. Michael, I'm going to ask you to hang in there. We're talking to Michael Norton, co-author of the book, Happy Money, The Science of Smarter Spending, associate professor at Harvard Business School. When we come back, we'll talk about buying time with money, paying now, consuming later, which is the opposite of the way most of us work, and more tips on how to be happier with the money that you have. You're tuned in to America's Positive Radio talk show David Essel Live, Studio E in Los Angeles, California, is where we broadcast out of 1-800-548-TALK. For more information on the entire show, go to talkdavid.com, and there you can find links about Michael and the book and everything else that's going on. David Essel, in the box with you now and every Saturday. So glad that you're with us. Stay there.
Live every Saturday. I want to welcome you aboard as we experience and explore life and love and happiness and so much more. My guest right now, Michael Norton, associate professor, Harvard Business School, co-author of the book Happy Money, The Science of Smarter Spending. The secret to happiness could easily be what? Spending your money more slightly. But as Michael said earlier, it's not about spending money. It's about spending money you can afford to spend. Oh, my God. Michael, what's this whole thing about buying time? That's the next thing I wanted to to talk to you about. Buying time versus what? Uh, Again, we find that uh, many of the big purchases that people make, they kind of believe it's going to make their time better. But in fact, they're getting it really wrong. So um, to use, again, a common purchase of a television We tend to think when we're buying a TV that what we're doing is buying family time and we'll have a Super Bowl party and it'll be this, you know, great social thing. And the data shows that when you buy a TV, you basically commit yourself to staring at a wall by yourself for thousands of hours. And so you think that you're buying a great product that will make you happy. And what you're actually doing is you're buying yourself bad time. You're making yourself unhappy by committing yourself to do an activity for many, many hours that won't make you happy. We really try to get people to think about when you buy something, is it really going to make the time you spend any happier? And very often, in fact, the things we buy are going to make our time worse, not better. So give me an example of a really good purchase versus a really bad purchase in regards to time. One of the things that we think about actually is um, which pet you buy. So it might seem as though if you buy a goldfish, it's a great purchase because it's not going to take much time. And it's actually pretty inexpensive. So you think, well, that's a reasonable uh, pet to buy. Except if you buy something like a dog, dogs are a lot more work and they cost more money. But dogs actually commit you to do some things with your time that are really good for you. Like take your dog for a walk. And exercise is really good for us. Turns out that dogs like other dogs. So when dog owners go out and take their dog out, they meet other people. It turns out meeting other people is really good for our happiness. So we think when we buy a dog, it's expensive. And we should be thinking, how is this dog actually going to change the way I I spend my time compared to something like a goldfish? And then it actually makes more sense to spend more money if it's really going to give you better time. I like that. You know, lots of times people will spend thousands of dollars like on a saltwater fish tank. And... And it's calming and it's beautiful. And for the first month or two, they actually watch it. And then for years, they forget it's there. That's right. And usually the fish die and they just have a big tank of salt water with nothing in it. It's not a great purchase. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. And for anyone that's ever had a saltwater tank, you know the maintenance on that is out of this world. Um, okay. Now, the next one is something that no one wants to talk about. Pay now, consume later. We all want to... Buy now, consume now. So what does that mean? Pay now, consume later. This, again, is, a, is the, probably the second hardest principle for me to follow because the world is basically increasingly set up where we can consume everything we want right now and pay for it way later. So credit cards, of course, allow us to do whatever we want today and then worry about the bill later. And also, you know, think Amazon, you can get a book the next day. On iTunes, you can download an album right away. We get right. everything we want immediately. And there's good things about getting things right away and being able to pay for them later. But research on happiness shows that it's exactly backwards for getting the most happiness out of things. Really, the best thing to do is pay for things way up front. And then by the time it comes, it actually feels free because you've forgotten you paid for it. Mm -hmm. 
And by waiting for that amount of time, you get all of this excitement and anticipation about the thing that's coming to you. And an example that we often use is little kids on Christmas. Yes. Very often for Christmas for little kids, the most excitement they have is the night before. They're so excited for the next day. And when they open the presents, they end up not even using them and they play with the cardboard box. If we know that about little kids, we should apply it to ourselves as well and say, you know what, I'm going to make myself wait to get this thing even though I want it right now because I'm going to get a whole week or a whole month of being excited about it coming. Now, I don't know if it's still available, but that's what layaway was all about, payments. That's exactly right, and increasingly people are less likely to do layaway. Yeah, yeah, and so, but that's what we're talking about. And then the last one is about investing in others. Now, are you saying investing in others instead of yourself? That's exactly right. Uh, Of course, most people uh, do give time and give money to other people, whether it's to volunteering or charity or helping friends and family or, um, you know, buying presents for people. We find in our research, though, that we're underutilizing the um, ability for spending on other people to make us happy. When we do experiments and we give people cash and we tell some of them, go buy yourself something, and we tell other people, you know what, today you have to give this money away, then we find out how happy people are. Turns out when people spend on themselves, it's not bad. It doesn't make them less happy, but it does nothing for their happiness. But when people Hmm. spend on other people, could be a gift for a friend, could be a donation to a charity, those kinds of activities really do make us happier. If if you could wrap this up in 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 thirty seconds, Michael, your whole book in thirty seconds, and say the most important thing people get from reading this book would be. There's really one simple question that we want people to ask anytime they're reaching for their wallet or typing in their credit card information online, which is, am I spending this money in a way that's going to give me the most happiness? And it's not a question we usually ask ourselves. We usually ask ourselves, do I want this thing that I'm about to buy? And that's not the right question to maximize our happiness because, of course, we want a TV and, of course, we want a car, but it doesn't mean that those are the best things for happiness. And if you stop and ask yourself, is this really the way to get the most happiness out of this money I'm spending? Very often the answer is no. Where, where, does, where does savings accounts come into play in regards to spending and being happy? Do, do you know what I'm saying? It's like what we're talking about, you know, buying experiences and trips and coffees and all this kind of stuff. It, it, do you have any research that says that people that put X amount of dollars on a monthly basis in savings are happier as well? Or is savings just one of those things that's so non-exciting that we it doesn't affect our happiness? Savings is, is uh, one of the hardest things for us to do because it's a lot like eating healthy, where we know that we shouldn't eat pizza and we know we should exercise today. And then today comes around and we eat pizza and don't exercise. And saving is the same thing. It's, it's, I know I should save this today so that later on I'll be better off. But as you said, it's really boring and uninteresting to save. We are doing research now where we try to encourage people to save, in fact, by making it exciting. And again, it's based on an insight from kids, just like Christmas leads to an insight that we should wait for things. When we have kids save, we know as parents that they don't like saving and we have to make up a reason to save that's fun. That's where piggy banks come from. Piggy banks are a bizarre thing. You have a pig that's like made out of porcelain, and kids basically put money and feed the pig. Right. It's, it's crazy. It's bizarre. But what it does is it says you're not just saving. There's a pig here, and it's hungry, and you have to give the pig some food. We know with kids we have to kind of jazz up saving. We don't do it at all for grown-ups. We assume grown-ups are rational, and we don't need to be induced to save. We're trying to do research now to make saving more fun for grown-ups, too, and see if we can induce more of that really important behavior. 
And how long does it take following your advice in your book, Happy Money, someone following these four or five steps? How long does it take for someone to really feel that happiness? We have done experiments where we give people as little as $5 and tell them over the course of one day, for example, buy an experience or buy something for someone else or buy something for yourself. Even over the course of that one single day, people who spend on themselves get no happiness out of it. People who buy experiences, people who spend on others have more happiness at the end of the day. Little amounts of money over a very short period of time can already start making a difference. The name of the book, Happy Money, the author, Michael Norton. Michael, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, have a great day. And you're tuned in to David Essel Live. TalkDavid.com. More to come. Stay there. I am great today. I am great today. I am great today.